Good evening and welcome to all of you. It is really, I had a moment sitting up here with Ruth and Patrick watching you come in and just, I know many of you and I know many of your faces, some of you I don't know. And I just had this feeling of like, I love these people. Like I love um, who we are together when we come together with an intention and a sense of connectedness with one another and then live into that space. And that's very much what we're doing tonight. Um, we are gathering tonight as a people of faith, but people with different understandings and experiences of what is happening in this new administration and what that means in our lives. For many of us, this is a time of incredible heavy-heartedness. Some of us are hanging on to hope by just a thread. Some of us are living in real fear. Some of us are wondering how this oppressive framework that you know so well is now just visible to more and more people. And some of us are sensing this as a time of real possibility. We are moving through these days holding many things, and it is often through ritual, through community, through singing together, that we learn new ways to carry what we can't set down or we discover a way to rebalance the weight of the heaviness we feel. Right now, our Christian siblings are preparing to enter the time of Lent, this time of reflection, of giving something up, often this time of fasting. It's a 40-day time period based on the 40 days that Jesus fasted in the desert before he began his ministry. Tonight, in our own context, we're going to piggyback on that model and use that framework as we set an intention to hold over the next 40 days. The rituals you will experience tonight are meant to help you find your own personal direction over the next 40 days, but to do it grounded in community. This is a ritual service that Patrick Doherty and Michael Dodson, Richard Spratt, Ruth and I, and Bobby Gillespie and others have been working on for weeks now. Moving forward, every Tuesday from 7 to 8 p.m. from now until Easter, church member Patrick Doherty, Doherty will, he's offered to hold a circle every Tuesday from 7 until 8 o'clock, a chance for those of you who are here to come back together, to reflect on how you are moving with and through heavy-heartedness, how your intentions are taking root. And then on Thursday, April 13th, we will reconvene in the evening to share in worship and ritual once again. I do want to share a brief word about some of the music we'll be singing tonight. We are singing um, a spiritual tonight, and the spirituals are some of the best music there is to help us hold heavy-heartedness. As we sing these spirituals, it's important to remember that many of these songs came out of the experiences of enslaved black and brown people. So when we sing these songs, we hold in our awareness that they are more than just artifacts of a bygone era. They are living, breathing testaments to what brown and black people have done and still do to restrict the assaults on their humanity. Let's hold on to that history and let this music move in us and with us as it calls us to join the struggle for collective liberation. Welcome once again, beloveds.
reading for this evening is Living Intention by Joseph Cherry. If we have any hope of transforming the world and changing ourselves, we must be bold enough to step into our discomfort, brave enough to be clumsy there, loving enough to forgive ourselves and others. May we as a people of faith be granted the strength to be so bold, so brave, and so loving. inviting you in numerous times, in numerous ways, to come into your body, come into your breath, reminding you that indeed you are blessed with a body. You are blessed with your body that houses and informs your life, your work, your spirit. And we will be inviting you numerous times and numerous ways to sense that connection in your heart to make a connection to your heart, that spiritual antenna that is embedded in your chest. And we will invite you in numerous times and in numerous ways to sense a connection to the people around you, to remember that the work of moving with heavy-heartedness, the work of faith and hope, is the work of community. We know that when we stay connected to our bodies, to our heart, and to other human beings, we come into a greater sense of awareness, wisdom, and resolve. So this, with this in mind, I invite you, uh, with a, in a few simple exercises, to come into your body. So I ask that you stand, if you are able. <coughs> And I would like you to just gently sway. Let your arms just fall to your side and relax from your shoulders, feeling your hands heavy, and so the shoulders are moving slowly. I think my mic's on. Okay? And so just gently sway. And if you'd like, you can close your eyes and just feel that sense of coming into the movement of your body. And now I'm going to work with an exercise that was given to me by my dear vocal coach, Emily Greenleaf. And what I ask you to do is take one hand and place it on your shoulder and just squeeze, squeeze and feel that heat. And now as you breathe in, relax that squeeze and feel your shoulder absorbing the air as you breathe in. Here you go. Just like a sponge. And now squeeze as you breathe out, squeezing out all the air. And then 
Relax your hand and allow the air to fill that shoulder like a sponge, a deep drink of water, breathing out and squeezing, breathing in and allowing the shoulder to take in that air. And now move to the other side. For squeezing and feeling the heat of your hand and the squeeze on that shoulder. And now as you breathe in, let the air fill that shoulder like a sponge and release your hand, release your grip. And then as you breathe out, you squeeze the air out of your shoulder and then breathe in again and let the air fill that shoulder. Breathing out. Breathing in and let the air again fill that shoulder. And now again, allow your arms to just dangle at your side and gently sway. Now I ask Jared to come and lead us in some exercises of breath. So we're going to start by taking some deep breaths. So breathe in. And then out. And in. And out. Now what I ask you to do is to put your hands on your sides and feel where the bottom of your ribs are. You have this rib cage that your, your lungs are contained within. And what we're gonna do is when we breathe in, we're going to push our ribs apart so that you can feel an expansion from side to side. So breathe in. And out. And then in, expanding your ribs. and then out. And now what I want you to do is to put one hand on your belly and then the other hand on your lower back. And so what we're gonna do is as we breathe in, you're going to push your hands apart, breathing into your belly, breathing into your back. So breathe in. Finally, one more thing. As we breathe in, imagine that with your breath, you're pushing down into the floor, through your hips, through your legs, through your feet, into the floor. So breathe in. And out. And in. And out. So you have all this different space inside you that you can breathe into. Now we're just going to get a little rhythm going of breathing. So we're going to breathe in and then just sort of, uh, sort of blow out. So breathe in.
as we hold the movement of that song, I invite you to join us for the words of the lighting of our chalice. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Please join me in a time of prayer and meditation, bringing your mind, your heart, and your body to this moment, to this time and place. Place your feet on the floor, putting down whatever you may be holding, and placing your hands lightly in your lap. Just take a moment. source of life and love, that which we know by many names and beyond all naming. It's hard to know where to begin. It's hard to know what to pray for, how to stay strong when the turbulence of our times shakes our spirit and rattles our teeth. Each of us comes into this time of heavy-heartedness from different contexts, different truths about our lives and their unfolding, different frameworks of advantage and disadvantage. Still, as people of faith, we know some things. We know that it's important to listen with the ear of the heart, to sit in our tenderness, our truths, and make room for the still, small voice to sound in our being. We know that the broken places are often the places where the light gets in. And so we trust that our wounds, our brokenness, our discomfort, our mistakes are also sources of strength and the fertile ground for growth and transformation. We know that life at its core is relationship. And so we lean into our connections, connections to the holy, connections to self, connections to one another, connections to community of resilience and resolve. We lean in. We know that faith without action is hollow. And so we live in that generative intersection of prayer and protest, 
conviction, and care. We know that joy is the surest harbinger of alignment with love, and so we pay attention to the places of joy that spring up in the most unexpected places, recalibrate our spirit, and open our hearts once again to love's persistent invitation. These are the things we know. This is where our prayers begin. May this be a time in which we name what is true. May this be a time when we hold one another in tender care and connection. May this be a time when we set our intentions. May this be a time when we remember that we are held by a love that will not let us go. Amen. Good evening. So let me begin the process of our uh, taking the ritual into our bodies by uh, explaining to you an updated understanding of the nervous system. This will help you navigate through this evening and perhaps through your life. The nervous system, as we now understand it, is divided into three sections or three zones, as we call it. And the middle zone is where you want to spend most of your life. And unfortunately, right now, we're spending a lot of our life up above it and down below it. So this middle section is a place where you can tolerate all of life. It's called the zone of connection or the window of tolerance. And the ups and downs of life, you can stay connected in that part of the nervous system. And two things that happen in here that don't happen in either of the other two zones, and one is you can stay connected to other people. You can have an authentic connection even when you're angry and even when you're sad, and you can stay connected. The second thing that happens is you can have a clear mind. You can think clearly because you can be connected and your heart is open. The other two zones are places we go when we are overwhelmed and we've lost our center. The upper zone is called hyperarousal and is often referred to as fight or flight. It is here where we feel anxious, afraid, stressed, irritable, and have a reactive anger. I usually feel this when I turn on the news and I see the latest madness coming out of Washington. I feel this reading the stories about who is being harmed. I get lit up and I'm mad as hell. And underneath it, I'm also really afraid. But I like being angry better than being afraid. But regardless, I'm up here in hyperarousal and it's not a good place to spend much time. The lower zone is called hypoarousal. This is where we go when we feel blah, when we feel depressed, hopeless, and this is the place of despair. And I feel this again when I look at the madness that is happening. I see the trampling of human rights of people who already have had their human rights violated so often. And it seems to get worse almost every day. And I feel and I know I have to do something. Yet I feel so overwhelmed by all that should be done 
that I can't see clearly at all, and I collapse inside, and I feel despair. And I think some of you can relate to that. So what is very important to know and remember that when we're in hyperarousal or hypoarousal, whether it be our personal life or our social political life, we are not connected to other people in a meaningful way. And we are not in our right mind. When I'm up here and lit up, I am not thinking clearly. And when I'm collapsed in despair, I am not thinking clearly. And of course, in both of those places, our heart is not open. So while our breathing techniques, prayer and meditation, self-care are all really good ways to help us regulate the nervous system and get into or stay in the, the zone of connection, the window of tolerance, the quickest way to get back into the zone is through connection with other people, meaningful connection. And we're going to do that more and more tonight, as we've already started. And I'll teach you more about this as we go along. But right now, I'm going to show you how all of us can come together in the middle zone for us to use the relationship with our faith, the UU faith, the guiding principles that so many of us are connected to, and with each other, whether or not we even know each other. This process will help all of us come into that space of connection, of open-heartedness and clear thinking. So I'll explain this to you before I'll ask you to do it. But what I want you to do in just a minute, and this will take a minute, so I want you to do this slowly, is I want you to look around you silently and see the people next to you, those a few pews away, those in the church right now. And as you look around, I want you to see and sense the goodness in the people that are here. It is so easy. It's so beautiful sitting up here and looking at all your faces. It's just, just it's heart opening. And I want you all to have that chance. And I want you to think that and remember that everybody's here because they are also like you, wanting to find a way to move through the heaviness to see clearly where the heart is calling them where their prophetic call is coming from. And so as you look at them, sense the goodness, their desire to work through that and their desire to be here with you. Okay, so let's just take a minute and silently look around and look at all these beautiful faces. So I can see by your faces, you see what I see. Okay, so now we're going to do drop in and get in touch much more deeply with what's going on inside of ourselves. So I want you to close your eyes if that's comfortable or soften your gaze. 
and relax into your body. And to let your body breathe your breath. And just notice your inhale gently going in, your exhale gently going out. And as you relax your breath and relax into your body, I want you to use your mind and your body to sense the people around you, to sense all those beautiful people you just looked at, to feel them to sense your connection to them. Those people who came here tonight, like you, wanting to face what's heavy on their hearts, to move through that, to find their way forward, looking, listening for that prophetic calling to find a new way to be in the world. Those people who came to be with you those people that you came to be with. And as you do this, if you haven't already, this would be the time to call on source, to call on divine love, to call on whatever God you call, to call on love to join us. Because we want the big love to be with us. Now, if you can remember that beautiful music Jared and Ruth walked us through and us singing that beautiful chord and the music coming from our heart and their hearts, and I want you to imagine a chord, a thread, a beam of light from your heart to every heart here tonight. That web of interconnection to really let yourself feel it in your body Okay, so please come back and slowly open your eyes. So now we're going to hear from three of our community members who have volunteered to share with us what is heavy on their hearts. As they do that, let's remember to sink into our bodies, to drop into our hearts, and to hold them into that web of connection to hold them in love and feel the connection between your heart and theirs as they share with us. Mm, Hypoarousal. James Baldwin wrote, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. I'm going to 
read it again, paraphrasing. To be a person of color in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all of the time. Hyperarousal. <laughs> Patrick reminds us that to be in a state of hyperarousal is a place where we become irritable, anxious, afraid. I'm irritable about the constant analysis of the new administration. I'm anxious about our racial justice journey here at First Universalist. While I'm excited about the recent action of the church to adopt a sanctuary resolution, I'm afraid that we may lose sight of our main goal, to dismantle racism by doing the hard work of addressing race, racism, and whiteness within our own four walls. We need to do this so that we can work effectively with our sisters and brothers of color to transform the world. We must be willing to face the truth, even when it makes us uneasy and uncomfortable. Once again, our immigrant neighbors, our Muslim neighbors, our LGBTQ neighbors and our Jewish neighbors are being terrorized. And the, and the machine of oppression continues, on to, continues to oppress uh, black and indige indigenous communities. We must act with integrity. How can we stand with the water protectors at Standing Rock but not question our presence on Star Allen. Many lives around the globe are being threatened every day. Writer Mark Nepo writes, this is why it is essential to bear honest witness to our own naked stories. And I share that with you again. This is why it is, our, it is essential to bear honest witness to our own naked stories. I'm anxious and afraid that we won't. <sighs> that we won't bear witness to our own naked stories. remember November. It's a bit of a blur. I know what things happened, and I can tell you the dates and even the times, but I don't remember how it felt. I seem to have blocked it out. Early in the month, there was the election, a long, troubling night of refreshing my screen and cycling through thoughts of disbelief and despair. Exactly one week later, on Tuesday the 15th, was our court date. This was the day my marriage of 21 years would end, the grand finale 
being a business-like 12-minute meeting in a courthouse chamber in downtown Minneapolis. We left the building together. I was numb. We didn't say anything to each other. And I silently got back into my car and drove home to my children. The rest of the month, I was in survival mode. I was already used to single parenting. I'd been doing that for a year already. But something had shifted. And one of my children moved back and forth with lightning speed between weeping uncontrollably in the corner of a room to screaming obscenities at me. It got scary. We all struggled to hold on to some sense of joy. It's hard to feel joy or to nurture joy when your heart is heavy. Joy, I think, requires lightness, buoyancy. And I was not in the productive zone two of tolerance. I moved back and forth between, between extraordinary anger and overwhelming sadness. Anger at my ex-husband, at the electoral college, at my child, at myself, at rural white men, at racism itself, and at the 40-something divorcee I had just become. And when anger was absent, it was sadness. More than sadness, sorrow. A deep and steady sorrow around the loss of joy in my family, my community, and my country. I moved daily between two states of being, feeling desperately lonely, or wishing everyone would just leave me the hell alone. It's nearly four months later, and there continues to be very little middle ground. Before I say too much, I'd like to apologize in advance. I, uh, I'm going to attempt to be frank, and my words may offend some of you. I was encouraged by the reverends uh, and Patrick to lean into my truth, and so if you are offended, they're at least partially to blame. <laughs> um, I just about backed out of doing this. I, I wasn't sure what to say. Um, I wasn't sure how to address a, a, anyone who needed comforted by the election's results. I, I have no words of comfort for you. The surprise at the racism that still exists in this country, the levels of shock, 
made me so angry. The, the Being an African-American male in America, there's hardly a day that passes that I'm not reminded that I am the member of a subgroup that can be hunted down, beaten in the streets, shot in the back, unarmed, arrested. I, heaven forbid I'd be from a poor black community and can't afford a good defense lawyer. Then I'm completely and totally doomed. And so for those on the left who celebrated our post-racial America after Barack Obama's first election and then re-election, to, to those who were aghast at the evidence that the racism that is at the very foundation of this country of ours still exists, it's, it's not even rage. It's, it's level one where I'm angry, I'm anxious and irrational, but it's by and large, it's that third level to where just an utter disdain drop right out. Want no part of whatever process anyone thinks we can come up with for what? We can march and then they'll violently break up the march or broadcast the results of the march in whatever way they want to. And if I show up at the march on the front lines, if I'm maced in the face, dragged off into a police vehicle, beaten to within an inch of my life, and then thrown in jail, what comes of it? If they grab one of you, however, well, it's a completely different story, isn't it? I'm not even privileged enough to fight for my rights in the America of today without a definite threat to my life. And even with all that being said and all the anger that I feel at that, and, and even with that anger driving me to want to fight still, when catching the train through downtown Minneapolis and waiting at the bus stop and just seeing droves of thugs and gangbangers and drug dealers, whatever fight is in me from my people is almost drained from me then. Fight for who? For who? The gangbanger that shot and killed my half-brother when I was 14 years old, fight for him? Fight for the drug dealers that sold crack to, to mothers and fathers in the inner city in the 80s, destroying an entire generation of African Americans, pretty much. It's hard. It's hard. And so I fight the despair that weighs my heart. I fight the anger that weighs in my heart. I fight to hold on to, to hopefulness. I fight to hold on to a vigilant stance. I fight to, to quote Kendrick Lamar, to celebrate Black History Month like it was my birthday. It's hard not to burn bridges with allies who want to fight with and against, with me and against racism and, and injustice. It's hard to maintain motivation. It's hard to have any faith in our political system. It, Donald Trump is awful, but 
Barack Obama didn't do much for African-Americans. We stand with immigrants and who are being disallowed to enter our country, but these same folks in the Middle East who are refugees of wars are also refugees of wars in Yemen, uh, being that was ramped up and continued by Barack Obama during his entire administration. Where was the rage then? Where was the injustice then? I've been angry for years watching all of this and seeing our side, so long as it's our side in charge, not hold them to account. And I fear we won't. Right now the bad guys are in charge, so we're charged up. What happens when we win? Do we fall into the exact same pattern? Do we fall into the exact same trap? Do we go back to sleep at the wheel because we trust the folks who are in charge? That's the heaviness in my heart. So I want you to touch into your heart right now and touch into the connection you have to the principles, to this group, and together which all faith traditions, all tribes, all groups of people have known since the beginning of time is that together we can bear what we cannot bear by ourselves. And Richard and Patsy and Bobby shared what's heavy on their heart and we're all here because we have heaviness on our heart. And I'm gonna to explain to you how we go into this exercise of your own reflection and not sink into it, and not drowned into it. And with our understanding of the nervous system, we have learned how to do this. What heals us in our pain, what heals us in our grief, what heals us in our trauma, isn't going to the deep end of the pool. It's touching into it, and then leaning into connection and love with others. And I tell my clients all day, every day, every day I'm at work, when you touch into it, that's far enough. Now let's lean into connection. Let's lean into our hearts because when we touch our hearts and we touch love to the suffering, it begins to move through us. And that's what we want to do tonight, to see what's on the other side. So. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to go into your own reflection of dropping into your heart. Letting your heart tell you what's heavy on it, what it wants to move through. Letting go of your idea of what it is, because sometimes you're going to be surprised, and especially after hearing our friends. The thing I want you to remember is that touching into love will help maybe some tears, maybe some grief, maybe some anger, but it'll begin to move so your heart can begin to open so we can find our way. Let the music guide you and hold you. When we're done with this short reflection time, we're gonna ask you to write down on one of the cards 
what it is that's heavy on your heart that you want to move through to get to the place with an open heart. So write that down at the end and we'll do something with that at the end of the service. So, please take this time to close your eyes if that's comfortable or to hold a soft gaze. Drop your consciousness into your heart and feel the connection and love and how you are being held with all by all those around you. Please take out one of the cards and write on that card what is heavy on your heart. And now I ask you to take that card, if you are finished with it, and if you're not, you can still keep writing. But fold that card, set it beside you. And now, just as we do in our prayers on Sunday morning in the cycle of life, I invite you to name that heaviness, to say it out loud within these sanctuary walls so that your heaviness and hurts may be held by this community of love and faith.
we have that in motion, we are looking for what's behind it. And so many of us here in church have been wondering, what do I do? There's so much need. And we're looking for that call that calls us specifically. So there's an exercise I'm going to teach you called empathetic dwelling. This is a practice you can use to help open your hearts so you can hear the prophetic wisdom that your heart is calling you to at this time of turmoil when we, you, use and our principles seek passionately. We seek peace, liberty, and justice for all. It's the call to us. For some of us, our hearts will help guide us to connecting more to those people who have been hurt. We want to find a way to not be moved by shoulds, by guilt, by anger, but we want to connect our hearts to the people we're called to step up and step out and be more involved with. For some of us, our hearts are hardened to the people that are doing the harm. And we know that hardened hearts hurt us. And they hurt those closest to us because they cannot connect with us. Our call might be to soften our heart and try to find empathy for those who do harm so we can open our hearts. And for some of us, there's just so much pain around us. We just want to be present to the empathy for others and ourselves. The thing I want you to know is that your heart knows where it's called. If we can get our mind and emotions out of the way, our heart will tell us what needs to be done. So this this exercise called empathetic dwelling is a very simple, and when you practice over a period of time, it can change you in ways that you cannot imagine. I can guarantee that. And there are two major ways to engage this exercise. The first way is for those of us who know that we need to step up and step out and become more active in the worlds of social and racial justice. Those of us wanting to commit ourselves to be engaged for the long haul and have committed before maybe and lost our way, but now we want to do it in a way that's going to carry us. We want to hear where our hearts have been moved because our hearts are pointing us in the right direction. The second way to do this is for those of us who know we've hardened our hearts. And we want to soften the heart so we can be present to the love to get into our hearts, the present to love those around us, and so we can see clearly and practice our faith. And so I'll tell you what this practice looks like. What you do is you relax into your body like we've done. You sink your heart into your consciousness. And then you remember who has stirred your heart. What people, what group, what community, what family, what person. Who is it that is most keenly drawing your attention Once you have a sense of where you're being called, this is where to begin the practice. We'll do this exercise here tonight, 
But when you practice at home, remember, breathe, relax, drop your body into your heart and hold on to connection and love. Because when you try to connect with people who've been really hurt, with people who carry a lot of the trauma of oppression, you don't want to go into that, their trauma and their grief. It's, that's why we stay away so often. We want to touch the edge of it, hold on to love, and we want to get to know those people. When you drop into your body and hear where you're called, if you're moved by the suffering of your family, then you stay and hold your family in your heart and be with them in their lives. If you're moved by the congregation and its commitment to be a sanctuary church and the growing threat to immigrants and their families, particularly immigrants of color, then you start there and find a way in, a family, a face to connect to. You find some way to sit in your heart and get to know those people more intimately. If you're showing up for Black Lives Matter actions and are moved by the stories and hardships of black men and women who have to deal with the police, you find your way there, again, through a face, a memory, a story, and you literally sit with those people and get to know them. You open up your heart. So after we get done sharing our stories, we're gonna invite you to do the same thing, to drop into your heart, see who your heart wants to connect to, who your heart wants more empathy for, wants to get to know. And again, the music will guide you and listen to your heart. Because we don't want the mind and emotions to get in the way because they take us in the wrong direction. We want our mind and our body to do the bidding of the heart. Like Coates' father, he wrote so often as a father, I sank into my father heart and I listened to his anguish as a father, a father who had to watch his son go out into the world that at many times he knew was so very dangerous just walking out the door. I, I, in my empathetic dwelling, I connected to him as a father, and I sat with my heart open and connected to divine love. My heart connected to his heart, and I got to know him, the father. And I imagined him raising his son, knowing what lied ahead for his son, I let myself imagine that his son grew up, what he might say along the way to his son, out of fear, out of his anger, out of terror, out of rage. I imagine him watching his son become a teenager and having an attitude like teenagers do. I imagined watching his son walk out the door and what that did to his heart. And I imagined how many nights he laid in bed waiting for the door to open or the phone to ring, how many nights he laid there in fear. And my heart opened up for that man in a way and for the black fathers because I could connect to the fathers. It changed me. I have never thought about a black father the same again. 
and it changed me with young black men and young black women. Thinking of them as children of parents, of fathers and mothers. And now I have an empathetic connection that helps me get past all the turmoil, all my doubt, my conflict, and my guilt. And I found a way to make those issue, that issue personal. I will now always stand up for justice for young black men and black women wherever I can. And now we're going to hear from Bobby and Patsy and Richard once again. And as again they share, I want to encourage you to open your heart and connect to their heart and let their reflections influence you and help you understand how you might practice this empathetic dwelling. Hypoarousal. As Patrick stated, hypoarousal is a state of being where we feel blah, flat, maybe a little depressed. James Baldwin wrote, and I think there's a lot of compassion in this quote from James, white people are trapped in a history they don't understand. Will you, my white brothers and sisters, be bold and brave enough to face your own complicity in the history of race, racism, and oppression. The movement needs you now more than ever. And I know some of you have been in the movement, well, joined early on, 60s perhaps, in many different movements. Some of you are new to the struggle, and we welcome you. We welcome all of you. The movement needs all of us now more than ever. So can you heed the call of our faith to transform the world? So as I try to move into that middle phase and middle section of the nervous system and where I need to be connected to others, in the next 40 days, I'll be holding you in my heart so I can stay connected and keep my heart open while we continue out on our racial justice journey here at First Universalist. <laughs> and as you probably guessed by now, my favorite author, James Baldwin. <laughs> so James Baldwin says, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Not everything can be faced when it's changed. Can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. For now, let us reflect and draw strength from each other. Are you ready to step up? Are you ready to own whiteness? Will you be bold enough to step into your discomfort and brave enough to be clumsy? Will you bear witness to our own naked stories? So will you join me on this journey? You know, and the journey can be rough, it can be hard, it can be challenging. Uh, we don't want to stumble, we don't want to fall. But when we do, we will stumble and fall. If we stay connected, we'll be there for each other, pick each other up, and move on toward higher ground. <laughs> 
My intention for working with my heavy heart is twofold. First, at the risk of sounding selfish, for the next 40 days, there is one person whom I need to hold in my heart very, very closely, and that's me. As a single parent and an educator, I give and I give and I give. I do so gladly. It's in my nature to take care of others. But recently, it's taken its toll. Too often in recent weeks and months, my daughter remarks, you look sad, mom. I'm gonna make brownies, that'll help. She's right, of course, on both counts. As I continue to move through this dark time, I'll put myself on the to-do list. I will seek out things that bring me joy, and I will carry my own well-being gently and closely for the next 40 days. As Patrick says, what heals our pains and wounds most effectively is connection to others and love. I will nurture those relationships that lift me up and bring me joy, I will say yes to coffee with friends. I will do yoga, drink orange juice, and try to go to sleep when I am tired. Secondly, I will hold my students. I am an adult educator, and most of the students we serve are people of color. Specifically, my field is English as a second language, and for over 20 years, I have specialized in teaching English to adults who are immigrants and refugees. I will hold these brave and resilient new Americans closely during the coming weeks and months. I will listen more intently to their stories, assist in their resettlement from the world's crises with renewed compassion. And as a language teacher, I will help them find their voice in their new home, troubled as their new home is. I know in my heart that immigrants are one of the reasons America is great, and I will make my work to make this known through my actions and words. I will hold with intent in this attempt towards empathetic dwelling. I will hold in my heart all of you and everyone who has been in this fight for racial justice, those who, who despite any faults of their whiteness, who despite a past of not being involved, despite having checked out for eight years and being awake and back into the fight, I will hold you in empathy. As a individual who bases his, his moral compass on, I guess, Judeo-Christian values, it is important that I forgive. It is important that I treat those who have done me wrong or those who I've seen as having harmed me with the kindness that I haven't received. And so I even seek to to understand the perspective of those who have harmed, those who come from parts of the country where racist ideas are passed down to them, much like 
our values have been passed on to us by loved ones and, and, and instructors. I try to understand where they come from, where my own people are concerned, and my, my anger and my despair from my own race, I will try to hold in my heart and hold in memory my own origins, and knowing that the exact same influences that caught their attention and drew them in that way, being poor, father either in prison or gone, the only role model you have are the drug dealers in the streets with nice money, brand new Jordans, nice cars, uh, the same guys in the music videos. Your heroes are those negative individuals. I will hold in my heart those who fell for that image and will seek ways to connect with them and more than anything else within my heart, whenever I think, when any compassion does strike me, it's, it's towards our youth. Young African-American males have very few positive role models. Very, very few. I've got two nephews who I have vowed to ensure that they become well-rounded, grown men who aren't in the streets. My concern for them and my concern for their generation and for every young African-American boy and girl without decent role models, I want to be there for them in whatever ways I can. And so I will, with intent, think about and seek out ways to do so, to step up in ways that I haven't before, to try to be either a role model, big brother, friend, and to find ways to link up with those of you here who are already a part of the movement in fighting for racial justice. Despite my anger and frustration at, at many of you, you've been there. You've been fighting, you've been at the marches, you've been at the rallies, you've, you've got the banner out front even, which says a whole lot. Despite my anger, thank you. Despite my, my pessimism when I'm down in level three of the nervous system, Despite my pessimism, thank you. Forgive me. And I look forward to being able to, to join you and not be so cynical. And even when I'm feeling cynical, I look forward to telling myself to shut up a bit quicker, <laughs> rolling past that and continuing to stand with you. One of the things I know uh, as, a, as a minister and as a, as a parent, as someone on this racial justice journey and in this space with you all tonight is lang language matters and how we think about moving through heavy heartedness or moving with heavy heartedness matters because for me and for many of us, it's a moving with. There is not necessarily a through point and how we are together as we move through that um, matters and you're here so I'm feeling heavy-hearted tonight like as I listen to this as I take this in and part of what um, my commitment is is to 
learn to move with that differently. Move, learn to move with my heavy-heartedness differently. Not to shut down, not to go <laughs> hypo, but to stay in that zone of connectedness with all of you. This is your turn, your chance to, uh, you've heard a lot tonight. This is your chance to note on your second card uh, how you intend to move through the next 40 days, how you will practice this empathetic dwelling. How will that take root in you? You're invited to write down your intention for how you will practice empathetic dwelling.